All right, how's everyone doing today? Um, we're gonna continue in our series of conversations around faith and politics, and uh, I wanna go to 2 Corinthians chapter five. So join me there, um, 2 Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse 16. It says this, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed this message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this word to us today. Help us lean into the truth of who you are and who we are in light of that. And uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, so today we continue to process together faith and politics. What does it look like to live out the words and works and ways of Jesus in the political sphere? And so we've said that Jesus is inviting us into that space, that politics isn't something that we should be afraid of, that government and politics is good. Like, and found fund fundamentally, it's good, right? It's simply just a means of organizing ourselves together. And that God is a God of order, and that this um, way of ordering our lives is a good thing. Now, obviously, we know that it's become corrupted and uh, spoiled by our rebellion and sin. But in and of itself, we shouldn't be afraid of the political sphere, of engaging in that space. Um, and that we should have a politic that's informed by Jesus. Um, that he has a vision for how we ought to order ourselves together. Um, and it's not a vision that's primarily concerned with my own rights or my own freedoms, but it's actually a lens, a vision that is concerned primarily with the love of neighbor, the other. And so we've been talking about that. Um, and in the last few weeks, we've been unpacking that a bit and talking about this love and truth framework as a, as a grid, as a lens, a framework as, uh, to, to look at politics and the way we order ourselves together. Um, and we said that Jesus doesn't balance a tightrope, right? He's not trying to, you know, uh, come over here and, and be a little more uh, truthful at the expense of grace or, or come over here and be a little more graceful at the expense of truth. No, but we said that Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth and that he's inviting us to, to, to let go of our call-out cultures and our hangout cultures and to um, embody this way of love, this grace and truth reality, and we call that a call-in culture. Um, and I don't know about you, but it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work to live into this. Uh, but this is the work of the family of God. This is the family business, right? This is what it means to be the kingdom of God 
on earth. And um, too often, you know, maybe the church has been uh, focused on policing morality, which is more of that call-out culture, or we've been focused on avoiding confrontation and conflict and accountability, and you know, that's more of that um, hangout culture. Or maybe we've simply just uh, reduced the work of church to this um, spiritual, like life insurance, hell insurance, uh, or as Dallas Willard called it, the you know vampire Christianity, right? Where we're where Jesus is simply used for His blood uh, as a means to eternal security, but little of our lives now actually changes. Um, and you see, in our text today, we see the Apostle Paul give us what I might consider, and many have considered, the mission statement for the family of God. What are we to be about? What is this family business? What is the mission statement of this business, right? Um, is it just getting people to heaven? Is it fixing moral issues? Um, is it just being a social place to hang out? Um, no, 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 no. It's, 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 it has elements of those things, but, but the work of heaven is about reconciliation. The work of heaven is about reconciliation. Think about what happens when we make the church mission simply saving souls or hanging out or policing morality, right? People then become objects or projects, right? You know, we, you know we, 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 they become a project that we have to fix or save or maybe an object that, you know, we just have to tolerate um, so that we can get along and hang out. So we might say something like, all are welcome, but deep in our hearts, Right? We've not actually been reformed to fully welcome and accept the other. So we tolerate each other because deep inside we haven't really changed. Um, or we're content to get someone in the door of the kingdom, right? We invite them in and then um, we largely leave them alone. And we just retreat to our individual camps and preferences. Um, and few embrace this ministry of reconciliation. My, my friends um, Sid and Jeff Holsclaw uh, um, say that reconciliation is the process of bringing people back into relationship. Reconciliation moves people from shame back to connection and joy. That's the deep work of processing that Jesus is inviting us to. Like, what are we really all longing for, right? We are, we're longing to be loved and accepted and to belong. Not for who, you know, what we do. Not for the color of our skin. Um, not for the, the, the amount of money we make or the social status that we uh, obtain. But no, we want to belong freely to God and to others. Simply for who we are. We desire Connection, deep connection. Uh, and, and, and the whole school has gone to define joy. Joy as the experience of being with someone who you feel connected to. Uh, uh, the experience of being with someone who is glad to be with you. Uh, they are going to say that tragically many of us have been born into environments that aren't joyful. Uh, we have experiences in life that, um, you know, 
send the message to us that, that we are not wanted and that it's not safe to be me. That we have to conform or change or perform uh, as a means to be wanted, to be accepted. Uh, or we've been flat out given messages that you are unwanted, that you are undesirable, that you're not needed. You, and maybe you feel disposed of, abused, neglected, rejected. And we live life feeling unheard and ashamed. And some of us, we've learned that those who are supposed to care for us actually despise us. And this is all painful and hurtful and something we need to grieve. And this shame, this, this sort of cycle of shame, the whole scrolls define this as the experience of being with someone who is not glad to be with us. So joy is the experience of being with someone who is glad to be with us and, and shame is the, the opposite. It's, it's the experience of being with someone who is not glad to be with us. It's being disconnected from someone who isn't glad to be with us. Sometimes that shame is a result of our sin. It's, it's a result of our behaviors and actions and rebellion that, that drives the wedge of uh, disconnection into a relationship. Other times it's a result of neglect or abuse or anger or um, unearned disgust right, from others. Um, prejudice. Um, we're just, you know, we've experienced this, that we don't have what it takes. We aren't meeting up to the standards of others. And um, many of us carry this shame around all our lives. And, 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 and unless we break free from this cycle of shame, we end up just repeating the cycle. We strive, we try, uh, but never feeling joy, never experiencing connection with others who are glad to be with us, um, then we simply repeat the cycle. So if reconciliation then is about restoring that connection, restoring that joy, and bringing people back into relationships, how does that shape our politics? If this is the primary work of following Jesus, if this is the, the family business, how, how does that fuel our political imagination and activity? Um, politics is a lot, and I think often, most of the time, right, it's fueled by empty words. Um, like we've been so accustomed to throwing around sound bites and catchphrases, um, empty statements, right? That, that we, we no longer actually know how to engage at a heart level. Um, and so we have to begin to see through the surface rhetoric, um, of our political world. Um, and I mean, if you've caught the debates, right, of the last few weeks, um, you can't help but, I don't know, if you're like me, you can't help but walk away and wonder, like, what's the reality here? Because I just feel like there was a bunch of jargon and rhetoric thrown around. I mean, 90 minutes of slinging around rhetoric, right? Did, did any meaningful conversation actually take place? Um, did it, was there a meaningful discussion that got under the surface and exposed the reality of things? Did we per, uh, probe deeper into the truth? Um, you see, the 
the world is like constantly bombarding us with uh, well-researched, especially the political world, right? Well-researched, targeted messaging aimed at persuading, distracting, or enraging us. That without a trained eye, sometimes it's hard to discern the motives and hidden agendas under the surface. I mean, some of us were just talking this week about the documentary, um, The Social Dilemma. And, and this is a whole industry, the social media advertising industry that's been built, that's primarily, that, that its primary motive is the generation of profit. I mean, Facebook's primary, they're not in the business of creating a social platform uh, that, would, that would bring reconciliation. I mean, that's not their primary motive. I mean, it might look like on the surface that that's what they're trying to do. But, but if you really get it, if you really see through that surface thing, Facebook is about selling advertising spots and making money. It's a business. Understandably. And the people that designed Facebook weren't trying to design a system, an algorithm, a software that, that helped you grow in connection with other people. Okay? They were creating a software that learned people's behaviors, learned what enraged people and, 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 and you know, brought fear and excitement and, 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 and did so in order to sell advertising dollars and make money. And sometimes if you don't have a trained eye, I mean, it's hard to see that. It's hard to see what's really happening. Now, I believe though it's becoming increasingly obvious. I don't think like the political debates of the last two weeks have even tried to hide this reality that it's just a bunch of rhetoric getting thrown around. I mean, one candidate says, look at what he and she uh, supported and they frame it in such a way that it's like, well, how could anyone not so, you know, support that or, or whatever, right? And, 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 and you walk away, it's like, and, it, and you're just in an emotional, you know, reaction, right? But of course, these words have been precisely formed to generate these reactions and to take these complex issues and boil them down into the catchphrases and slogans and, you know, talking points and memes, right? And jargon that totally misses the truth. Uh, and so the temptation for all of us, especially as followers of Jesus, is to just join this rhetoric and this debate and to throw out our own word bombs. Um, but remember, we're looking to engage from a different framework. We have to avoid our own religious or political rhetoric that sounds like reconciliation on the surface, but it's really an imposter to the work and the mission of the family of God. So here's some examples, right? Like you, you've seen this in the political world. I don't have to really go through a lot of this, but you've seen examples, right? Mike Pence in his convention speech, I don't know if you uh, caught that, he altered a biblical reference, changing the word Jesus to um, old glory and referencing the American flag. So he switched the rhetoric to sound like one thing, but it was really another. Uh, during her 2016 political uh, uh, campaign, Hillary Clinton quoted Micah 6.8 saying that we need a president who will do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. George W. Bush told a gathering of Southern Baptists in 1999, I've heard the call. I believe God wants me to be president. 
We've heard similar statements from President Trump, and and I'm thinking of his um, just standing outside um, a church in the midst of um, racial uh, tension and protesting and holding a Bible for a photo op. I mean, these are all well-researched and intentional maneuvers to flatter an audience and generate political capital. And as followers of Jesus, we should not just hear or see these messages and jump to quick conclusions thinking that political candidates share uh, our, our values. Now they might, but we need to hold these candidates accountable and not simply reward them for shallow rhetoric and political stunts. So it's easy. What, what I'm trying to say is it's easy to jump into the political world with a cheap counterfeit of reconciliation, right? It's easy to throw up a hashtag like Black Lives Matter uh, or to change your profile picture or something. Uh, it's easy to do that and never engage in the work of restoring connection with my black brothers and sisters. It's easy to, sit, to, to exist in the world of talking points and media. It's hard to do this work of reconciliation that's all about relationships and intimate connection with other human beings. It's also really easy to enter the political conversation and actually do further damage with our words and our postures and, and to further move, uh, to, to further drive a wedge between our connection with other human beings, to, to drive more disconnection and shame. So we have to be careful how we label people, how we portray others, how we speak, the posture we use, the kind of language that we use uh, toward those who we don't agree with. And in our attempt to win an argument, right, we can do further harm and push our neighbors further away. And if we're called to reconciliation, right, if the family mission is reconciliation and to restore connection and joy, we have to be careful we don't drive people further away. Proverbs 11, 12 says, Whoever shows contempt for his neighbor lacks sense. It's always been the heart of God to form a family, right? A family that would trust him as the source of life and acceptance and extend that joy to the world. It's always been the heart of God. Um, and as people interact with us, whether that's in person or online, I mean, do, what do they walk away feeling? Do they walk away feeling ashamed? Do they walk away feeling disconnected? Do they walk away feeling mistreated? What kind of impression about Jesus do they get from being with us? Do we communicate that we want to be with them? Or do we communicate that we need to change something about them to be with us? Or do we communicate that there's something about them that's unacceptable to us? Their gender, their race, their class, their sexual orientation, whatever it might be. Do, it, it, when they walk away from being with us or from listening to the words or, that are uh, coming out of our mouths or our keyboards or our you know, in messaging, do, do they get the message that we want to be with them? In our text today, Paul writes that the basis for this family mission, the whole reason that we're able to do this is because we have been accepted and loved and reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. I wonder then, how have we experienced Jesus? How have we experienced the love of God? 
Paul and the first follower of Jesus encountered this, they encountered this radical acceptance of Jesus. They had a secure connection to Jesus. I mean, Jesus met Paul in the midst of his rebellion and persecution of Jesus' followers. I mean, he comes to Paul in the midst of that. See, these early Christians, they had a secure connection with Jesus. They knew they belonged. Many of them were from, for, were outcasts and outsiders. and I mean, they weren't supposed to be the ones who were accepted and loved, and yet Jesus embraced them. Thinking of Matthew, the tax collector. I mean, and there's, these are these were people that met most in society didn't want to be around. And they experienced reconciliation. They experienced joy and connection with Jesus. And from this place of joy, they extend that now to others. And this was modeled by Jesus himself, right? He's baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, a river that had special significance to the people of God, a, a river that marked new beginnings. And, and it's in that river that he comes out and hears the words of the Father that says, You are my Son, my Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Keep in mind, this is before Jesus has done anything significant. He's largely lived a life of obscurity. He hasn't healed the sick or cast out demons or preached to crowds uh, or done anything really significant in life. He's been uh, primarily been an obscure, simple human being. Yet in that place, he experiences the pleasure, the joy of the Father, the joy of someone who is glad to be with him before he's done anything important or meaningful in life. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness and the enemy comes with rhetoric, with cheap empty talking points, twisting the words of God with a counterfeit to real joy. And each time Jesus returns to his connection with the Father, with what he knew to be true, he refused to form his identity around what he did, what he had, or what people thought of him. And it's from that place that Jesus blesses the world. So I wonder, is the appeal to the cheap talking points? Is the overt dehumanizing of another really a result of the shame we feel because we lack the deep joy of being connected with our maker? Do you hear the invitation of the spirit today? An invitation simply to be? And, and, do you, and do you hear the words of the Father, words that come to you before you do anything? You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. It reminds me the wor of, of the words of uh, uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, uh, words that he wrote in a song. Uh, man, he was so connected to this work of reconciliation. I mean, go back and you look through his, his, the way he handled himself, the what he did, and he was connected to this mission of reconciliation. Anyway, listen to these words as we close from Mr. Rogers. Maybe you want to just close your eyes and just receive these words um, from a, a father in the faith, really. Um, so this is what Mr. Rogers says. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear, 
It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your toys, they're just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember even when you're feeling blue that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. It's you I like. Maybe those aren't words that you've heard from another human being before. From people in your life, your own father or mother. But friends, hear those words today. May we see through the cheap talking points and rhetoric that abounds in our world today. That is, may we see through to the motivations that exist that, are, that aren't motivations of reconciliation. And may we embrace and receive these words as truth. And may they spill out from us as the Spirit of God invites us to this work of reconciliation in the world today. It's you I like. It's you I like. Friends, I'm looking forward to processing this with you uh, next week as we gather together in the neighborhood. Uh, so be a blessing. Um, remember, it's you I like and the Father likes. All right, see ya.